Christmas in November. How many of you have, um, have that guy or that gal, that house in your neighborhood that's already put up all the lights? And, uh, you know, it may sound like I'm leaning towards kind of a, a mocking of that. No, 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 no. Because that may be you, and you may be my friend, and I would hate to have you perceive that I might be mocking you for putting up your Christmas lights in November. I think we all are looking forward to rushing into the feelings, the traditions, the joy, the hope, the peace, and the love of Christmas time. And so here we are, we enter into the Advent season, and it's one of those rare moments where it falls, the first Sunday of Advent falls in November. So this morning, we are talking about hope in hysteria. Maybe that is your situation. <laughs> Maybe uh, there is hysteria all around you. And uh, we'll look at that today. Now, you might think, well, Pastor, why didn't, you, why didn't you name the sermon title Hope Instead of Hysteria? Well, I can't guarantee there isn't going to be hysteria. I can't guarantee that as good as this message is going to be, I can't guarantee that the hysteria in, through, and around you or myself is going to cease anytime soon. Oddly, the segue into Advent comes directly from that comment that when hysteria will end is at the second Advent, the second coming of Christ. And so we longingly wait, right? We just sang about that, come thou long expected Jesus. Oh, that we will see the return of Christ and the hysteria will end well, this morning, as we begin to look at this idea, I'm going to turn to an unconventional passage. Romans 8, 18 through 28 is where we're going to be this morning, primarily. We'll get to the, we'll get to the Christmas passages soon enough, but our main passage is going to be Romans 8, and one of the reasons I chose to go this direction is because it's one of the New Testament passages that in fact mentions hope the most. And that being the case, I thought, well, why don't we do our best to examine how hope actually was realized through Christ even after He ascended to heaven. This morning, since we can't be together, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't join with me. Now that sounds, wait, Pastor, you're talking out both sides of your mouth. I do that often, yes, but let me explain what I mean. Based off the message this morning, we're going to have a segment after the lighting of the Advent wreath that's a response time, and it fits directly with what we believe the community of Christ is all about. That we can spend time getting into the Word and examining the things of the Lord, but without understanding how God helps us in those moments, it's challenging to know what the return effect is. And we most definitely want to know that the Word of God is piercing our hearts and healing the hysteria. So this morning, I'm going to give you two ways to respond. Our Facebook is up and running, and some of you are on Facebook. 
Uh, if you're there, I'm going to ask if you would just write a comment in, in that feed. And if you're not on Facebook, you can text this number by the end of the message, 925-708-6730. 925-708-6730. And this is what I want you to respond with. What is it, after this message, you are putting your hope in? Or how has hope vanquished or replaced hysteria? So with that, let's get into the passage this morning. And before uh, we read that, again, Romans 8, 18 through 28, let me give you some definitions. So we know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, hysteria. It's an uncontrollable outburst of emotion or fear, often characterized by irrationality, laughter, and weeping, etc., etc. For some of you, that's a Tuesday. For some of us, uh, we want to be in denial of hysteria. And yet we see it all around us all the time. As a matter of fact, society has gotten so... Uh, enamored with hysteria that we've given it a name, haven't we? Karen. And so if, if you're viewing today and your name actually is, as it appears on your driver's license or birth certificate, Karen, my apologies to you. I don't know who chose that name. I don't know how we get there, but many of you viewing today may not have any clue what I'm talking about. It has become a pejorative name in our society today. And it really came about from uh, the angry middle-aged white woman who was videotaped walking through an area of a park where she said an individual's dog attacked her. And the dog was nowhere close to her. And she was filmed screaming with hysteria at this individual. And then every time something like that happened with the same kind of demographic, suddenly those individuals have been labeled Karens. I, I don't know if it's because uh, whoever came up with that name, if it's like carrying too much, uh, carrying about the wrong thing. I, I, I don't know where it came from, but my apologies if your name is actually Karen. But go, go, go research that and you'll see what we're talking about with hysteria. And so we're in a time of our society, of our world of history, where we need hope. Hope is defined this way, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. To give up hope or a particular instance of this feeling, uh, the hope of winning are ways that we relate to that concept. Those are ways that we can relate to the concept of what hope is. Let me say it one more time. The feeling that what is wanted can be had, or that events will turn out for the best. Do you believe, because of the advent of Christ, because of the coming of Christ, do you believe that that can happen, even in the midst of our chaos today? Hopefully I can show you, and I can navigate through this passage, and then we can look carefully at portions and characters of the Christmas story at the end of the sermon today, 
and then throughout the rest of the message that will demonstrate that you can have hope in hysteria. Romans 8, 18-28 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now I want to stop. If that verse does not give you hope, if that verse, if you have the Spirit of the Lord in you and you didn't get a sense of, of the endorphins kicking in, the spiritual endorphins kicking in, let me read this again in context to the world that you're living in right now. Paul says this, For I consider, that's a key word, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is your thesis statement. And we'll get to that in a minute when I break this all down. So let's keep reading. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Remember that, that idea. Remember that principle that Paul just talks about with hope because it's really going to strike to the heart of the Christmas message and some of the particular characters we'll look at this morning, like Simeon, like Mary. And we know... Actually, let me back it up. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now this morning, even as I read that last verse, I know that there are many of us that are suffering. Right? Paul acknowledges the suffering. And we don't like to hear that verse because people irreverently throw that at us in our, our worst moments, our moments of suffering, our moments of difficulty. And when someone comes up to you when you are going through it, when you are in the hysteria, and they say, Oh, God bless you. All things are going to work together for you because you know Jesus. Right? 
And you, you just want a, a, a holy hand grenade to come down and blast that person at least 40 feet out of your life. Why is it that that becomes offensive to the very people that it was written for? Because I think we lose hope. I think we've heard that statement, that truth, that principle so much, and we've failed to recognize how that works, that it becomes the sharp tip of the spear in our side. This morning, I believe it's part of my challenge to help us see the value in how that works so we truly can have hope. Even though we have to wait in patience, we can truly have hope. So this morning, let's look at this idea of hope and hysteria. You know, it's a, it's a thing. It's a real thing. We already talked about Karen. But let me give you two concepts here this morning. All right? The two concepts are, number one, because when, when I say hope in hysteria, you could take it maybe this way, that we hope we reach such a frenetic level of conflict and distress or fear that we become hysterical, that that's what we're looking for. Have you ever met that person? They, they have, it seems as if they never have the capacity to just move through a day with any level of peace. Now, they probably had 12 cups of coffee, coffee, and so that affects you. But I'm talking about the deeper things, the things of the soul. This is not what we're talking about this morning. That we would hope in the things that cause hysteria. That's not what we're talking about. So here's my second proposal to you, and this is what our intent is this morning, that we find a secure feeling despite the chaos that rages around us with the belief that the solution is imminent. Let me say that again because this is what we're striving for. This is what I believe Paul is talking about and is an incredible nugget for us to hold on at this time. When all the creation is groaning, where is the hope? Listen to this. Our purpose this morning is to search the Scriptures and to see what Christ has done for us so that we find a secure feeling despite the chaos that rages around us with the belief that the solution is imminent. Do you believe the hysteria will be gone when the vaccine is out? Do you? It's a fallacy. Not the vaccine necessarily, but that all of our hysteria, we'll just find something else to be hysterical about because our soul is torn without Christ. Our soul is relentlessly agitated and in conflict without Christ. This is why we celebrate Advent. What if Jesus never came? There is no answer for the hysteria. You see, in Palestine, 2,000 years ago, they were hysterical. There was great suffering at that time under Herod for the Jewish people. And we get to hear a little bit throughout the entire service 
from different individuals, whether it's Mary or whether it's Simeon, how hope came in the midst of the hysteria. How there was a solution. And how that solution, because Jesus fulfills the promises that were made to us, how there's hope in a solution in the midst of the brokenness and the groaning of all creation. So let's break this down. Verse 18, you already heard this idea that... uh, that verse 18 is really where you want to walk away today. You want to hold that. I want to hold that as the paramount idea in our minds. You want to know the solution to dealing with the hysteria, with the idea of hope. Let me read verse 18 one more time. For I consider, there's that word again. We brought that up during our Thanksgiving series, right out of Luke 12, where Jesus himself says, consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider who your Father in heaven is. When I stop and consider what God has done and what He has fulfilled and what He promises to continue to fulfill, it gives me hope. But if all I can consider is the hysteria around me, then there is conflict in my soul and it wreaks havoc in my life. By the way, there's a great word here. You can see it up on the screen. And this idea, consider, can be rendered in our English language as reckon. And, and that would go over very well on, on, my, uh, on my in-law's side of the family. My, my father-in-law is Billy Bob. Billy Bob Jr. from Arkansas. And reckon is like every fourth word when you come from this. Well, I reckon, I reckon. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? That everything is falling apart and there is no solution? You know, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen is in the midst of the chaos, an individual who has peace and who has hope. And they see things differently than everyone around them. It is attractive. It is a shining pearl in a sea of mud. I reckon that what God has prepared and what God has solved and done through the advent, through the coming of Christ, can take that hysteria and flip it on its head into hope. Again, verse 18 For I consider or reckon that the sufferings of this present time, we do not invalidate your sufferings. Jesus does not invalidate your sufferings. In the past 24 hours, I've had three conversations with individuals that are going through incredibly tragic circumstances. We do not assume that these are nominal problems, nor does Jesus. Jesus died on a cross because of those problems but we're about to enter into the realism of why that exists and how we can help ourselves see that the promise of all things work together for good how that truly can flip our hysteria into hope you're going to see how this works and maybe change some of our reckoning right so we do not discount we do not diminish that suffering exists But Paul is saying, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present age, they're not worth 
comparing. They are so marginal compared to the glory of what God has prepared for us. If that doesn't set up hope, like a turkey roasting in the oven this past Thursday sets up my salivary glands, if that doesn't set up this idea of hope, then nothing can. What do you reckon? Let's go to the second concept, which is the chaos. Let's verify that there's, there's chaos. Christ understood that there was chaos. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, died for the ungodly. He knows that there's chaos all around you. He knows that our response to the chaos is hysteria. And you think about the picture of Jesus out on the Kinneseret, on the Sea of Galilee, in, in the back of a boat, resting, sleeping, in the midst of a horrific storm that took the most seasoned sailors and made them believe they were going to die. They were hysterical because they lost track of who's in the back of the boat. Or they had yet to truly know Him. They had yet to truly know Him. But the one thing Jesus did not deny in that moment was that there was incredible chaos all around. He just tried to change or reckon the thinking of the disciples saying, do you not have faith in who I am? As you're going through the chaos, have you forgotten who I am? I bring hope for you. So let's look at this idea of the chaos because this one concept can change our understanding of the world around us in a very, very large way. I know so many, let me stop for a second and say this. I know so many believers that their faith is derailed because of the chaos. Somehow they, they grabbed an idea that there was going to be this utopia under Christ while here on earth. What you are about to hear sets the record straight. It is truth. You will be able to relate to it. It's what we do with that information that then protects our heart and protects our soul in Christ Jesus so we are rooted and established in Christ Jesus so that we can have hope instead of hysteria. Let's look at what Paul recognizes to be true. He doesn't just blatantly say, hey, what are you stressing over? It's all good. It's all good. You know Jesus. It's all good. Why are you so, why are you so distraught? Paul understands he can't just say that without recognizing that there is chaos, that there is suffering. So listen to how he describes it because it's eloquent, it's beautiful, and it sets in place the foundation for understanding the promises of God and how we work in those promises. Verse 19, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's that hope, right? Even the creation is waiting for that second advent when everything is made new again. For the creation was... Now here, here's where it all went south, folks. For the creation was subjected to futility... Not willingly, it didn't ask for it, but because of Adam and Eve and their choices, we were subjected to futility. 
We were subjected to suffering. We were subjected. That's the moment sin entered into the utopia and broke it down. How many days, months, or years have you spent watching the news or seeing the world around you saying how much worse can it get? The creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Do you believe that? If that's hard for you to believe that that all creation around you is in bondage to corruption, brothers and sisters, you got to have your eyes closed. It is all around us. And here's the hardest thing to admit. It's in me. Paul says, I do the very thing I wish I didn't do. How many times in my life have I walked away from a situation saying, I can't believe I just reacted that way. I can't believe I made that choice. I can't believe I forgot to reckon who Jesus is instead of placing myself on the throne selfishly. It says that the the creation will be set free. There's our hope. The creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Thursday, had a great meal. Was able to have some time with some of our family. But I was groaning. Because we didn't have the whole family that I've been around for 30 years now. A 30-year tradition of the same people. And then having individuals come to our table. Different individuals, year in, year out, that needed to be loved, that needed to be cared for, that needed to know somebody loved them rather than being alone on Thanksgiving Day. That tradition was completely jacked up this past Thursday. And I was groaning over it. But I had to choose, rather than the hysteria and focusing on the suffering, the hope that we'll be back together someday soon. But also holding on to the hope that my attitude of thanksgiving is not relegated or dependent on the people that are around me. Amen? That maybe it was a good thing for us to take a step back from those things that we have preference in the traditions in order that we might have a deeper experience of thanksgiving. I had a very deep experience of thanksgiving. I had three plates. And, and, and then after that, they brought something that was kind of oranges brown and it had a golden crust on it. And then they put like snow on the top of it. And, and I, I ate that. And I, I started to see things I don't normally see. I was in this euphoric state. It was incredible. So I asked for more. And then I asked for more and more. I think I had eight slices of this thing they call pumpkin pie. I call it Turkish delight. And then I knew what Paul was talking about with groaning. My whole body was groaning because of my selfishness. I can't say I've learned my lesson. 
But Paul goes to great depths to explain that because of sin, the creation is broken. What do you expect? For those of us going through incredibly difficult and tenuous times, and life is disappointing, we're saying, God, where are you? This is not what I thought I would be engaging in. That part, that utopia, is waiting for us. And so we hold to it with the same tenor, with the same uh, desire that these characters we're going to see in a minute out of the Christmas story were hoping in themselves. They had their suffering, we have our suffering, but we have the advantage of knowing that Christ came according to the prophecies. And He did what He said He was going to do. And so if He did that, the second advent is going to happen. And then no longer will the creation have to groan. There will be a day, brothers and sisters, where that gets fixed. And that is the hope. And so Paul is saying, yes, this is broken, but there's more. And so that's where he gets into this idea of the hope. Verses 24 through 25. It says this, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You're going to hear about that today with Simeon, who waited most of his adult life with patience for the manifestation of the promise from God the Father that he would see Messiah and he would prophesy over him. In the same way, today, you may be living in this suffering, in this brokenness, and you may be groaning, and you may be saying, okay, I understand, I've heard it over and over, all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. Now hope that is seen is not. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May I ask you to reckon the idea of hope changing and submitting the hysteria. By the way, the idea of reckon is the first part of the word reconciliation. The idea of bringing together what was broken apart, which is what Jesus does for us with God. Lastly, the help. So this is such a complete picture of what Christ did by coming and what we're going to see here in a moment with the characters out of the Christmas story. So Paul gives this thesis statement for I consider or I reckon that the suffering of this present time, it's not worth comparing with what's coming, right? There it is. There's the thesis statement. Then he talks about the qualifier. Yeah, there's chaos. There is chaos and there's going to be chaos until I fix it. But there is hope in the midst of the chaos. Remember, Jesus informed his disciples and, and you can see this in John 14, 15, 16, that he was leaving. 
Imagine the one that has brought you the most joy, the life-changing opportunities, the best future you could possibly imagine. Your best life now, right? And then they say, I'm leaving. I'm gonzo. I'm done. What would be your reaction? Well, that's what the reaction was of the disciples. They were, and I don't use this word often, Google it, Siri it. I just messed up your entire home system, didn't I? crestfallen they were crestfallen and what a sad story if it stops there but it doesn't stop there you see jesus says but i'm going to gift you what a what a gracious idea during christmas i'm going to gift you the spirit so what is the answer here we have this thesis statement that we need to reckon with we understand that there is chaos we understand how hope counters the chaos, but how do we do it? Because we can't do it on our own. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot let your spirit suddenly be uh, boosted up with any merit or with any foundation or sustenance just because you will it to. The chaos is still there. The hysteria is still there. But if you take that step of hope and hoping and believing in the things that God has promised because He is faithful to do what He says, that's when we lean on the Spirit. And listen to how this works because Paul gives us the roadmap. This is like receiving a gift of a car but not being given the keys if Paul had held this part out. You see... The Spirit is the key to unlocking the hope of your spirit, your soul, and salvation. He says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep. There's that word groaning again. With groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then here it is. Because of that active process of God interceding for us through the Spirit, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It's not an empty promise. But if you try to do this without the Spirit of God, you're going to come up short all the time. Amen? You and I will come up short all the time. So what a beautiful picture. I reckon that the temporary sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that I hope in that God has promised and He is faithful to do what He says to do so I can put my hope in that. Hope is believing in something that is what? It's in the future. You can't see it yet. So hoping for God to intervene, what better chance do you and I have than to know that He searches my mind and my soul. That's how much He cares. That's how much He listens. And He goes to God on our behalf interceding for us so much of a gift so much access to the almighty you and i have been given a gift that feeds hope in the midst of the chaos 
So all that's fantastic, right? I just preached it. You should believe it because Pastor Jeremy just preached it, right? That's like saying the Chargers are going to win today because Pastor Jeremy said so. We have to look at the past. We have to look at the past. And, and I learned something new, which is beautiful, in looking at the Christmas story. You're going to hear it during uh, the lighting of the Advent wreath, but I'll, I'll hint at it in a minute. So in Luke uh, 2, 26 through 30, we have the story. I'm not going to turn there right now. You can reference it on your own. But in Luke 2, 26 through 30, Jesus has been born. We've gone through the whole manger scene. The shepherds, the camels, the donkeys, the angels. All of that has happened, right? And now, as was the tradition, they took the boy, like a week later, they took him to the temple that he might be circumcised according to the tradition. The way the story goes is that there was a holy man named Simeon who was always prophesying at the temple steps. The Lord had given Simeon a vision that he would see the anointed one of David's throne. He would see the anointed one of David's throne before he died. And when Mary and Joseph carrying the baby Jesus came, Simeon recognized instantly this was the Messiah. The Father revealed it. Now He had spent, we don't know how many years, but He had spent many, many years hoping, hoping in the promise that God had given. And what happened? In that moment, the Father revealed to him, this is the Messiah. And so Simeon holds Jesus and he prophesies over Him. And there's an understanding that that which God gave him, that promise was true. That thing he hoped in was suddenly realized. And now his hysteria was conquered and subjected because of hope. And I have to believe that as Simeon saw that He knew what was going to happen for the nations. As a matter of fact, you can see his prophecy in the passage I mentioned where he talks about for the Jews, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Not just to the Gentiles, but to all nations. And he prophesies and says, this has happened. We have seen this. This is a fulfillment of what God promised. And therefore, God also promised that through Jesus all nations would be given salvation for those who receive Him. A game changer. A game changer. What about Joseph and Mary? Imagine them walking up and they had gone through what they had gone through and there are parts where uh, previous uh, five, six, seven nights prior, it says that Mary and, and Joseph had visitors. And these are just the ones that we've heard about. They had shepherds. They had previously both been visited by Gabriel with the Annunciation. When you think about the chaos of their lives, you think about a young Mary. Here they are standing on the steps and they receive confirmation 
from Simeon. Who comes to them and says, the Lord gave me a vision years ago. This is the child. Now imagine months and months prior receiving a heavenly visitor <coughs> excuse me, saying, and this will be the Messiah. Sometimes you're going to question yourself, right? And Mary does. And we will turn there in close this morning. Luke 1. Turn with me to Luke 1 if you have your Scriptures open. So Mary does question it. <clears throat> 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the chaos. Here comes the hysteria, right? Twelve-year-old girl, 11, 12, 13, and she receives a heavenly messenger. Oh, wait, it gets better. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And here it comes! Here it comes. Here comes the lack of belief. And you're like, you're crazy. You're crazy, angel dude. Right? Because what he's proposing, it just doesn't seem like it's even possible. What do you have in your life that seems impossible? Yeah, it's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. By the way, what you're about to hear, remember what Paul says about conquering over the the chaos or the hysteria with hope, that that is only possible through the Spirit of God. Now listen to what the angel says to Mary. First of all, let's, let's just get Mary's quote here, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how's this gonna happen? I'm still a virgin. Okay, do the science, right? Look throughout all of history And this is what the angel says. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Oh, 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 okay. Wow, you know, for a second there, I thought this was a little, a little nuts and I should get hysterical. But now, now that you say the Holy Spirit's going to come on me, uh, I, I get it. That makes all the sense that what are you talking about? 11, 12, 13. And this is the solution that the angel has to meet science. You think God doesn't know when we question how are things really going to work together for good? How is this really going to work together for good? Listen to the message he sends through Gabriel, because he knows Mary will have this reaction. Listen to this. Because he cares enough that you and I know in the midst of our challenges, our suffering, we're going to come up with legitimate questions. And he says there's answers to that. You just have to pay attention. That's that reckoning, folks. Listen to what he gives to her. 
the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Oh Mary, I get it. You're saying this is impossible, but hang on a second. Here's what we're going to do for you. I'm going to sweeten the deal so you don't have to get hysterical here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to do the impossible right in front of you almost concurrently so you can trust me and you will have a reminder that I am with you. You will have a foreshadowing that what I say, when I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I'm going to take your cousin, Elizabeth, who has no business having children, has probably tried her entire life, and she will become pregnant. And you will watch how she grows in her pregnancy, and you will have that as a sign that I can do whatever needs to be done for the redemption of mankind. How incredible is that, that God gave Mary that sign to carry her through the impossible. You see, hope was in front of Mary at all times with Elizabeth and her child John. Hope was there in front of Mary and Joseph when they go to the temple. And Simeon comes along and says, it's the Messiah. Let me hold Him and prophesy. And what happens is there's confirmation of the very things Gabriel said. Here they have the confirmation and the affirmation by Simeon. There's some deeper truths here for us to examine out of Romans 8 this morning. So Simeon had a promise fulfilled. Joseph and Mary had confirmation of what Gabriel told them. Because of Christ, all people have hope. Gabriel brought that message of hope. And because of how God knows we will react and think, Mary was given hope instead of hysteria. This morning, my question to you is, would you reckon how Jesus' advent creates hope for you in the midst of hysteria?